0: President Biden proposes radical changes to the size and scope of government while pretending to be a moderate, the CDC struggles to let go of the power, and we discuss the difference between slavery theology and liberation theology. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the Guy to Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So if you always wanted to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use and is also free. All you do is simply record the audio from your phone, computer, laptop, or wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can monetize it with sponsorships or donation buttons, and you can distribute it to sites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, anchor.fm, or download the app. Again, it's anchor.fm, or download the app. Alrighty, so we are back here. So I, ho- I hope everyone's having such a great week. So we have a lot to get to today, so let's jump right into it. Alrighty, so this week, actually, President Biden finally gave his sort of steady of union, if you will. Technically, it's called a, a joint session of Congress, not necessarily a steady union. Remember, President Trump gave that in his first year in 2017. So. Yeah, what was different about, of course, this one, is that it was pretty much (laughs) invite-only, and everybody was wearing masks, and social distancing and everything, despite all of them being vaccinated and everything, which I'll get to that a little later in the episode. But, of course, um, you know, speech lasted about an hour, an hour and a half or so. I mean, I didn't watch the entire thing, I only watched really just highlights of it, but just really, even from the highlights you can just tell that President Biden is just, again, he's just not there. He's simply not there. But um, before I get to that, I wanna kinda go through some highlights right, real quick. So, it's basically Biden starts out, starts out the speech making this statement right here.
1: Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. <laughs> no President has ever said those words from this podium. No president has ever said those words. And it's about time.
0: Yay! Virtual signaling time. Yay! But, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much how it opened and everything, but really let's get to kind of the main kind of meat of what was, what was said so here's basically a highlight reel of all kind of the stuff that Biden proposed and everything so here's this kind of a longer video so here it starts right here
1: America is an idea the most unique idea in history we are created all of us equal it's who we are And we cannot walk away from that principle.
2: Madam Speaker, the President of the United States.
1: Together, we passed the American Rescue Plan, one of the most consequential rescue packages in American history. We're already seeing the results. We kept our commitment, Democrats and Republicans. Sending $1,400 rescue checks to 85% of American households. We're already sent more than 160 million checks out the door. Today, 90% of Americans now live within five miles of a vaccination site. Everyone over the age of 16, everyone is now eligible to get vaccinated right now, right away. Go get vaccinated, America. Our progress these past 100 days against one of the worst pandemics in history has been one of the greatest logistical achievements, logistical achievements this country's ever seen. I propose the American Jobs Plan, a once-in-a-generation investment in America itself. This is the largest jobs plan since World War II. It creates jobs to upgrade our transportation infrastructure jobs, modernizing our roads, bridges, highways. For me, when I think climate change, I think jobs. American Jobs Plan will put engineers and construction workers to work, building more energy efficient buildings and homes. Electrical workers, IBEW members installing 500,000 charging stations along our highways so we can own, so we can own the electric car market. That's raise the minimum wage to $15. No one, no one working 40 hours a week, no one working 40 hours a week should live below the poverty line. We need to ensure greater equity and opportunity for women. And while we're doing this, let's get the Paycheck Fairness Act to my desk as well, equal pay, they spent much too long. We also need to make a -a once-in-a-generation investment in our families and our children. That's why I've introduced the American Families Plan tonight, which addresses four of the biggest challenges facing American families and, in turn, America. First is access to good education. Jill is a community college professor who teaches today as First Lady. She's long said Is long. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Joe, any country that out-educates us is going to outcompete us. She'll be deeply involved in leading this effort. Thank you, Joe. In addition to my family's plan i'm going to work with congress to address this year other critical priorities for american families the affordable care act has been a lifeline for millions of americans protecting people with pre-existing conditions protecting women's health and the pandemic has demonstrated how badly how badly it's needed let's lower deductibles for working families on the affordable care and affordable care act And let's lower prescription drug costs. So, how do we pay for my jobs and family plan? I made it clear we can do it without increasing the deficits. Let's start with what I will not do. I will not impose any tax increase on people making less than $400,000. But it's time for corporate America. And the wealthiest 1% of Americans have just begun to pay their fair share. Just their fair share. My fellow Americans, we have to come together to rebuild trust between law enforcement and the people they serve, to root out systemic racism in our criminal justice system, and to enact police reform in George Floyd's name that passed the House already. Look, I also want to thank the United States Senate for voting 94 to 1 to pass the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act to protect Asian-American and Pacific Islanders. You acted decisively. You can see on television the viciousness of the hate crimes we've seen over the past past year and for too long urge the House to do the same and send that legislation to my desk, which I will gladly, anxiously sign. I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. <laughs> We've stared into the abyss of insurrection and autocracy, pandemic and pain, and we the people did not flinch. The very moment our adversaries were certain we'd pull apart and fail, we came together, reunited. With light and hope, we summoned a new strength, new resolve to position us to win the competition of the 21st century.
0: Alrighty, so <clears throat> I mean that's pretty much like a lot of the stuff, like stuffy repose and everything. And just This is all pretty much the Bernie Sanders-style proposals right here. I remember back in the campaign, uh, Biden proposed himself as a moderate and everything. Well, obviously, he is not. He is simply not a moderate. And, I mean, seriously. I mean, seriously, like, during, during a speech, he actually said this, that January 6th, that whole... That riot at the Capitol was worse than anything on democracy since the Civil War. Like that's coming over like Pearl Harbor, nine eleven, and a bunch of other things. So and just seriously. And if uh, you can see like throughout the speech, and he just so slowly I'm <clears throat> sorry. He's slowly losing just uh, losing like, what he's saying, like, just slowly loses, loses his mind. And it just is... It's obvious that he is just gone at this point. But really, what I really want to focus on is basically his radical proposals. Like, the first two, he's saying the America Jazz Plan, the America... American, Life Family Plan. <clears throat> he's talking about... He... Kind of positions that as sort of kind of an investment into families into, into jobs and everything, but that's not what investment in, investment means. Investment taking is taking your own money, <clears throat> investment into like the stock market or gold or and everything, and then you expect to get something back, of course. But the thing is, what he is talking about is actually not investment; it is redistribution. Taken out the people's money and giving it to others, But pretty much, pretty much socialism. So, this guy as some sort of like moderate is just is a joke at this point. He is not a moderate, and it it's very obvious. And it's just it's just very clear that the way he talks about government, the way like all the things he's pushing. It's that, basically, he believes, along with Democrats and the left, believe that the government is there to solve all your problems. It's like, seriously, the only way you can achieve something, you can, like, gain success in this country, or to, like, get, get medicine or whatever, is through the government. Pretty much the government has become pretty much a, like, golden calf. A golden, a pretty much a golden calf at this point. A permanent idol for a lot of people, and it's very unfortunate. I mean, seriously, as it says in Exodus twenty, real quick, I'm gonna to jump to it real quick. So Exodus uh, twenty, starting with verse one, says this: Then God spoke all these words, saying, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of e- the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under, under the earth. You should not worship them you should not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous god, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and the third and the fourth generations of those who who, who hate me. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And finally, let's go to Psalm 135 real quick. So, Psalms 135, starting from verse 15, says this The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts, trusts in them. So my point of reading these verses is to really point out the reality of idols. Like, they're pretty much just objects, and they could be anything. They could be government, they could be just celebrities, politicians, or, or just, of course, money, or anything. But the problem is, they won't solve all your problems. They won't solve the main problem, which is sin. And really... It's sad to see, you know, there's a lot of people, I expect, you know, for You know, unbelievers to behave like that. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. But, um... was sad to see, even professing Christians... You know, behave like that, see government as pretty much the problem solver for the the place to solve all their problems pretty much. So, uh, and as Christians, we're not supposed to, you know, think, think like that because God, I mean, is our Lord, not the government or anything else. And he despises idols and remember you know as Christians we're not supposed to be a part of the world we're not supposed to love the world or anything as it says in John first John 2:15 come on So, yeah, 1 John 2.15 says this. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And also, Romans 12.2. So, Romans 12.2 says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God is that... Is, is the will of God, is that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I mean, keep these two verses in mind because I will be going back to them a little later in the episode. So, again, as Christians, we're not supposed to be a part of the world or anything. So, that, since we're not a part of the world, we don't make the government or anything our idols. But that's the problem. Even professing, professing Christians are making the government the idol the problem solver of everything and it's simply not the case the founding fathers did not design the government the constitution to be for the government to be like this the government was there to protect your rights and that's pretty much it like pretty much even the role of the president the president and that's supposed to have the amount of power it has he has today the role of the president was to enforce the law Signs the legislation, and that's it. Leave everyone else, leave everyone else alone. But the way the relationship between the government and people have shifted is now everyone looks to the president as the king, the moral leader, and everything and all that. But especially with these radical policies right here, and that's gonna even shift to even more. Like, the government is going to even grow even more, and even into the to jobs, to your family, and everything. And what's so twisted about that is that like he, what's so twisted about this speech is that like he, at the beginning, was talking about how we're all united and everything, but then he goes saying that, oh, and also uh, America's systematically racist and all that. I'm sorry. I mean, that's not how unite unite everyone. It's simply not because the, the systemat- systematic racism today in America is a lie; it does not exist. But he's pushing, anyways. You know, he's pushing to pass the Equality Act and everything. So it's just, it just. This guy is not a moderate. He's pretty much Bernie Sanders, disguised as moderate old Joe Biden. And that's the reason why they want to keep him on because he doesn't seem threatening. But while he's, they propose that he looks like just a, oh, just a regular, kind old man, even though he's signing all these radical policies. So that's why they want to keep him around. So once he's out, I mean, he's he's only going to be a one term president if that if he makes it all through, all throughout. Um, even if he makes it through his first term. So, it's going to be something interesting to see, see that. But, one thing I wanted to mention is also, uh, as with any other State of the Union, there's a, a response to it. You know, Democrats did it with Trump, Republicans did it with Obama and everything. It's, it's a usual thing that happens. So, this time around, uh, Republicans decided to put out um, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina to respond to Joe Biden's speech. And it was a pretty good speech. Um, You know, he tackled everything that Biden said about America and all that. And actually, here's actually the best part of his speech, of his uh, response to Biden.
1: Today,
2: Hughes are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges, to corporations, to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly, America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination and it's wrong. To try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present.
0: I mean, seriously, that's like that's excellent stuff right there. That's he is exactly right. He is exactly right. Like Martin Luther King Jr., his main like dream and his goal was to have a world where no one is judged but on the basis of their skin. Because again, skin color is it's it's nothing. It has no value. Is just the amount of melanin in your skin. And everybody has a different type of melanin. You know some folks have a more lighter shade. Uh, some other folks have a dar- have a more darker shade of melanin. But it doesn't define who you are as a person. It simply doesn't. And you know Martin Luther King said. You know, he doesn't want people to be judged on their bits of their skin. But on the context of their character. And for a while, you know, people America was buying into that, but here came the progressive left, the CRT folks, saying, "No, we need to judge people on the basis of their skin. We need to treat folks on the basis treat folks differently on the basis of their skin, and we need to stop people, a certain group of people, on the basis of their skin for speaking." So that's why you know, critical race theory is. It's, it's dangerous. It is dangerous for our country. It's dangerous for kids, for school. It's dangerous for the church. And sadly, even churches are starting to buy into it. But of course, for saying this, Senator Tim Scott was attacked to a right, <laughs> was it, was attacked by the left and everything. He was called, you know, Uncle Tom or Uncle Tim or whatever. What's so hilarious about the Slur Uncle Tom though. It comes from Uncle Tom's Cabin. (laughs) But the thing about Uncle Tom's Cabin. That a lot of people missed. Is that Uncle Tom in there. Was a hero of the book. Of the story. You know he was a slave. And really the. I, I, I honestly don't know where. Where they see the insult. How they see that name as an insult to folks. I mean. I, I don't see how, because I guess really just the ending of the story where there was some uh, Tom's, Uncle Tom's, you know, fellow slaves escaped the plantation he, they were at, and the slave masters, you know, caught him and said, and tried to interrogate, interrogate him, saying, you know, trying to tell him, or trying to get out of him where the other slaves went, but Uncle Tom refused. And, you know, he was tortured, beat to death during that. But during the entire time he was being beat to death, he was saying to them that, I forgive you, I love you, and God loves you too. And he was preaching the gospel to them during that entire time. And what's so amazing, even at the end, those folks who were beating him up, the slave masters who beat him up, became followers of Christ. They heard the gospel and became followers of Christ. And, I mean, I guess the part where he's forgiving the Slave Master, that's where people take issue um, of it, which I don't see how. I don't see what the big deal about it is. But given the world we live in, nothing makes sense. But he was called also the other uh, slurs as to probably the N-word, you know, token token of the public party and all that. It was just... Obviously, the most threatening thing to the radical left today is black conservatives. That's why they absolutely hate Tim Scott, Candace Owens, Thomas Sol, Larry Elder. They even hate, you know, Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, those two guys from the Justin podcast, and many more. Um, Herman Cain, you know, they hated Herman Cain. They hate uh, Ben Carson. Because to them, black people are supposed to all think the same. They're supposed to all think, um, all think like the Democrats. are supposed to all vote Democrat. Because the left don't doesn't see, they don't believe that blacks have their own agency. They don't, because cause of supposed systematic racism. But, really, just think about that. Who is that, the actual racist here? Either conservatives who believe that black people have their own agency, that skin color doesn't matter, and that, you know, they can be, black people can be, think however they want, or the left who believes that black people don't have their own agency and that they must all think the same and, and all that, and that they must look to them, to the white liberals, to solve all their problems. I mean, who is actually racist here? It's certainly not the, the conservatives. It's certainly not them. So, again, good on Senator Tim Scott for this for this speech. It was a very, very good speech. And, seriously, like, Republicans, please hold on to this guy. Like, Republicans suck at a lot of things. But there's some things they're good at. So please hold on to this guy. Hold on to Tech Cruz. Hold on to... Uh, Ron DeSantis and all that, because they have potential to really <laughs> gain back the country. Alrighty, so, now that we got that out of the way, I want to now continue on with the whole, the rest of the episode, but first you got to go over to YouTube, where they got every involved to check it out. So not only you get the rest of this, me going over the CDC and, um, they how they are afraid to lose their power and all that, and also savior theology versus liberation theology, and also the good stuff and best of the week, and remember you can find the show on other podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen podcast. podcasts. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is the God of Frames Show. Alrighty, so now, let's move on to the CDC and all that. Oh well. Um, so basically for the CDC, for years, you know, they were seen as these as these scientists, as you know, these people working with de- diseases. Where you, know, you go to them to find out certain things about diseases, about you know, medicine and all that. And there were trust of stores for years. I mean, I trusted them for a while and for years up until COVID hit, and then suddenly they just shifted into these power-hungry bureaucrats who now are just so afraid of losing the power that they're just they're being really ridiculous with this whole thing, especially regarding masks and the vaccine. Like, throughout the pandemic, the CDC was, like, pretty much looked to as the the main authority of what people can do. Basically, people looked at them as saying as the CDC can give permission for what they can do. Especially now that people are looking to the CDC to give them permission to go back to normal life. Even though we're pretty much out of herd immunity already. But they're still looking to CDC as, like hey, you know, can we go back to normal life, please? Or, um, if we w- if you want to, we can still pass the and say, this isn't everything, but you can give us, um only if you give us permission to go back to normal life, we'll, we will do that. But the problem is, again, the CDC was not elected. They're not elected officials. They're just pretty much bureaucrats. They're not our bosses or anything. They don't have the power to control us. They don't have the power to tell us what they do. Or anything. We can ignore everything they said and prove everything they have said throughout the pandemic. It's utter crap. Especially now, like the whole mask thing. Well, the mask thing was BS from the beginning. It was especially where Dr. Fauci at the beginning was in the CDC were saying that at the very beginning that people should not mask up or anything. And they were saying that because they were afraid. The people will buy out all the masks. Like, they're pretty much... They, they look at this as like... Oh, we're too stupid. And all that. But... That's the way the, our government looks at us. But now... the, the Then they change their... stance saying oh, masks are very important. The most important thing you can do... Is patriotic and everything. And at first, the mask was like... You know, it, it helps protect others and all that. Which... I mean that was biggest from the beginning, but the argument was a little better. But now, today is pretty mass thing is about making people feel safer. Not make people safer, but feel safer. It's all about feelings. Which I'm sorry, if you feel uncomfortable about me not wearing a mask, that's a that's a you problem right there. That's a you problem, not my problem. That that's you that's a you problem with your insecurities and everything. And again, I have not I'm not a mask <laughs> fan or anything. It was I think the mask went to BS from the beginning, of course. The only time I really I've worn a mask is to go to the a doctor's office or when stores required it at the very at the kind of beginning or they actually enforced it. But now stores don't enforce it even though it still have signs requiring it. But they don't enforce it. Because it's... Other than that, I don't wear it. But... Especially now... With vaccine rolling out... With us reaching... Herd immunity, pretty much. Herd immunity. The mass thing... The mass should be... Done at this point. But the CDC still wants to double down on it. So, um... Here's a chart... That the CDC... ...released the other day. I'll put it up on the screen right here. And you can see the chart... ...is basically on the... ...right side of the chart... ...is about... ...is about, you know... ...fully vaccinated people... ...and the other side is... ...the unvaccinated people. And it's about these activities... ...that people... ...that unvaccinated people... ...and fully vaccinated people can... uh, ...you know, can attend. And for the outdoors... ...is, you know, for hike, biking, running, walking, whatever... with you of your own household... ...no one has to wear a mask... ...if you're attending a small outdoor gathering... ...you know, no one has to wear a mask... ...if you're going to a small... ...outdoor gathering with fully vaccinated people and unvaccinated people... ...the unvaccinated people had to wear a mask... ...and the fully vaccinated don't... ...which doesn't make sense... ...dine in restaurants outdoors... The unvaccinated people have to wear a mask. You know, the vaccinated people don't. And to attend, you know... Outdoor events like parades, concerts, sporting events. Both people have to wear a mask. Which doesn't make sense. Outdoors are not vectors of transmission. So there's no reason for anyone to wear a mask. At all. And then you get to the indoors. And all of it. Even the unvaccinated people... ...have to wear a mask for every single one of them. Like again, the mask thing was a BS from the beginning. But especially if you're fully vaccinated, especially that if you, if you believe in masks and you're fully vaccinated, there's no reason why you should be wearing a mask if you're fully vaccinated because it cuts down transmission by ninety to ninety four percent, and it prevents and is about ninety to ninety five to ninety to one hundred percent effective. At preventing serious illness and death. So even if you get it. You will be okay. So this whole thing is, is BS. is it's, it's ridiculous chart. And what's so crazy is that. P- members in the media. The government is still pushing. This whole thing like. Jury on NBC. You know she's. Fully vaccinated but she said literally on there that even when she's out she's both, again fully vaccinated but she double mask when she's outside jogging and running by herself which does not make any sense whatsoever and even like again members of government like joe biden recent like he was recently asked you know you're fully vaccinated. Why do you continuing to wear a mask? And he literally said, "Come on, man. It's a patriotic duty. Give me a break." <clears throat> like seriously, like that's pretty much what masks have become. Like at this point, is is a patriotic duty. It makes people feel better. It's a religious, like, token at this point. Where if you wear it, you're proven to be part of the new religion of humanity. And if you're not, if you don't wear it, you're proven to be a heathen, it must be cast out. It must be looked at as, like, lepers, or, or, or pretty much. Which, doesn't make, again, but all this is, is pretty much the CDC struggling to let go of their power. Because they gained so much power, for some reason, during this entire pandemic. But now they're afraid to lose it. And they want to hold on to it as tight as they can for as long as they can. But the only way they continue to have the power is that people let them. People let them. People let the CDC tell them what to do. So what needs to happen is that people need to say to the CDC, No, we're not going to follow any of your guidelines anymore. We're going to go back to our normal lives. And that's it. You can cry about all you want, but you're not the boss of us. You're unelected officials. You can't tell us what to do. Sorry about that. And that's how, that's how we solve this. So do not follow, don't listen to anything the CDC says anymore. Because pretty much everything they have said so far, it's been BS. <clears throat> Alrighty, so now let's move on to the final topic of this episode. So the final topic of this episode I want to tackle is... The difference between savior theology and liberation theology. So you probably wonder yourself, you know, Wait, what's what's this? Like, what's the what is savior theology? What is the liberation theology? What is the difference between the two? So first off, we need to find, we need to look at you know what does each what does each theology mean. So savior theology, you know, when you hear it, John would think that. You know, is someone coming to save us, pretty much. And what Savior Theology is, for Christianity, is that, you know, Jesus came to, was God in, flesh, being God in flesh, born into this world, um, sinless, and became a lamb sacrificed, died on the cross, and resurrected to save us from, from our sins, and that, that we may have hope and spend eternal eternal life with him. And that's pretty much what saving theology is that he Christ came to save sinners. And now with liberation theology, let's look at what the gospel coalition has to say about that. So the um what the gospel, sorry, the gospel. Coalition says this. The definition. Theology of liberation is a combination of Marxist philosophy with certain biblical motives. It argues that we should reconstruct the whole the whole Christian, Christian theology by seeking it through the acts of oppressor and the oppressed. So basically what... Liberation theology is, is that they see jesus as these as this social revolutionary is that like he came to start a political revolution a social revolution to save oppressors uh, the oppressed from oppressors to save you know people you know as you know made people see as you know save black people from white people and all that. From basically, again, they see as as axis of the oppressor versus the oppressed. Is that you know, Christ pretty much came to save society. So now you say to yourself, okay, which is biblical? Which piece of theology is biblical? Biblical. Well, obviously, if you know the Bible, obviously, savior theology is a biblical one. And let's jump to to prove it. Let's go to First Timothy one fifteen. So First Timothy one fifteen says this: "It is a trustworthy statement, uh, deserving a full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Among them, I am foremost of all." Now let's jump to Matthew nine, real quick. So Matthew 9, starting from verse 10, and it kind of gave you some context right here. You know, Jesus just, Jesus just called Matthew to follow him, and then now they're having dinner at Matthew's place. And so starting from verse 10, it says this, Then it happened that as Jesus who was reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, "Is it not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick? But go and learn what this means: I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, the righteous but sinners." And final, now let's jump to John chapter three. <clears throat> so John 3 starting from verse 14, yeah, 14 says this As Moses Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever believes Will in, in believes will in in him have have eternal life? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not a judge. He who does not who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come to the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So, again, obviously, the purpose of Jesus was not to come save society. It was to come to save sinners. Because everyone on earth, is a sinner. As it says in Romans 3.23. Again, it says Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again, everyone on earth has sinned, has sinned, it's sinner. And that was the reason Jesus came, was to save people from their sins, not to save the society. <clears throat> Unlike what liberation theology teaches. So where I kind of got this idea to talk about this is from, is it, is a, apparently a a pastor, his name is Ibn X. Kendi. And he's a a big advocate of liberation theology, and just recently he had this video of him talking about Stanford theology versus like liberation theology, which he embraces. And here's what he said about that:
2: liberation theology, in other words, Jesus was a revolutionary. And the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. That the job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on, on earth that are oppressing humanity. Everybody understand that? So that's liberation theology in a nutshell. Savior theology is a different type of theology. The job of the Christian is to go out and save these individuals who are behaviorally deficient. In other words, we're to bring them into the church, these individuals, who are doing all of these evil, sinful things, and heal them, and save them. And then once we've saved them, we've done our jobs. And, and to me, anti-racists fundamentally reject savior theology. That goes right in line with racist ideas and racist theology, in which they say, you know what? Black people, other racial groups, the reason why they're struggling on earth is because of what they're behaviorally doing wrong. And it is my job as the pastor to sort of save these wayward black people or wayward poor people or or wayward queer people. That type of theology breeds bigotry. And, and so, to me, the type of theology, of liberation theology, breeds a common humanity, a common humanity against the structures of, of power that, that oppress us all.
0: Alrighty, so, according to Abraham, Abraham X. Kennedy, sacred theology, which is, is true Christianity, is racist. Because it doesn't talk about, you know, the oppressors versus the oppressed and everything. All it talks about is that going and sharing the gospel with sinners and saying that really it's because the reason why there's so much suffering in the world is because of sin. And here's the reality. The reason why <clears throat> not just black people, not just poor people, but everyone on earth struggles with something with or whatever is because we live in a fallen, sinful world. It's because of sin. It, that is the reality we live in. Again, Romans three twenty three, for all us sin and fall short of the glory of God. So the idea that somehow that that save theology or Christianity actually Christianity is somehow racist, it's just it's silliness. And the way he describes it as that Christians and pastors are going out saving people. But thing is that 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 is a wrong description of what save or Christianity is, because we don't save people, pastors don't save people. Only Christ, only God saves people, and you know only those who God draws to them draws to Him are saved. We are just commanded to share the gospel with everyone. That's pretty much what we're doing, and it's just no. And the goal of the Christian is not to revolutionize society. <clears throat> Especially what Immanuel Kennedy sees Christianity is is that bring bring heaven on earth through the power of human hands. But the problem is that we cannot do that. We cannot using man's man's uh, methods. We cannot bring the kingdom of God on earth. Only God could bring His kingdom on earth, and He will. And when that happens, death, destruction, sickness, pain—all that will be gone. It says in Second Peter 3.13 And according to his promise we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So again, what Max Kennedy is like he preaches right here is a false gospel. And Christians need to stay away from this. They need to stay away. Because liberation theology again is tied to Marx, Marxism. Marxism. Which is a pretty much an anti-Christian, evil, belief system. Christians should not be a part of that whatsoever. And the idea that somehow Jesus was this revolutionary figure who died because you know because he got people got mad at him or whatever, which which is the case, which is true. People didn't like what he was saying. But the thing is, not he willingly gave himself up for that the thing is you know I don't know if this is true or not but it seems to me that folks who believe in liberation theology don't actually see Jesus as God <clears throat> they just see him as 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 this you know revolutionary figure This a regular human like everyone but he wasn't He was, he was fully man but he was also fully God and it's simple that he had the power to stop his death like that. But he didn't because his again, his goal was become the, to become the lamb sacrifice and to die on the cross and to rise three days later to save us from our sins. And <clears throat> liberation theology does not teach that. It uses the methods of the world to basically reveal, and kind of use this Talk about from Christianity, from the Bible, to quote unquote revolutionize society, which is not the goal. Again, not the goal of the Christian. I mean, as I said, as I said before, I want to go back to First John two fifteen and Romans twelve two. I want to reread those two passages passages real quick. Again, First John two fifteen says this. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And finally, Romans 12, 12 2. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, Christians are not called to be part of the world. We're not called to use the methods of methods of the world to reach people. We're called to use the gospel, to use Scripture to tell people about the hope that they that they can have if God so chooses to draw draw those people and <clears throat> and all that. So. But the thing is, with liberation theology, folks, they don't see scripture as sufficient. That's why, you know, they embrace things like critical race theory and social justice and all that, because they see, they use the Bible, but also they need this other thing to kind of help solve other problems. But the thing is, we don't need any of that. We don't need CRT. We don't need social justice, because... Scripture is all we need. Scripture is sufficient. As it says in Second Timothy three sixteen. Second Timothy Timothy three sixteen for all scripture inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. For correction for training your righteousness verse seventeen, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture, every every single book, everything written in this book in in this in the Bible is inspired by God, is breathed out by God. It is sufficient for everything. You know, it is sufficient sufficient to solve the problems of race and everything. So the idea that we need somehow latch on to things like liberation the- or like critical race theory as the liberation theology folks want to and all that is, is patently ridiculous. And I, I really hope that he's Imprach Candy one it realizes, oh, I'm, I've been <laughs> believing the wrong thing all along, and that he actually repents and asks Jesus to forgive him. And maybe that'll happen. I hope that does happen. Because this is this is a again, a false gospel and is leading many people astray, unfortunately. And 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 the main people has been leading, unfortunately, astray is black people. Because they have a lot of people black people unfortunately have embraced this type of liberation theology. <laughs> and that's why folks like Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, those two guys, Vodie are very important for the reformed evangelical movement. And that's why a lot of people should, not just black people, but why and black people, every people everyone should li- everyone should listen to those folks. Alrighty, so now that we got that out of the way, now let's go, go to the book of Acts. So finally, we're going to be finishing up, uh, Acts chapter 7. So Acts 7 is, is a pretty long, uh, past, is a pretty long chapter. But again, to kind of give you, again, background on this, uh, Stephen, you know, he was, you know, preaching the gospel to people in Jerusalem, and basically the high priests, the, um, Pharisees took him to question him, because, you know, they didn't like he, what he was saying, and he gave this long, long defense of going through the going through the scripture, going through the scripture, laying out his defense. It was a is really incredible. It was a really in, incredible defense. But now he just as a, last week I finished up his the last of his defense. So here's the final kind of part of chapter seven. Now when they heard this, they were cut to, to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I, <clears throat> behold, the heavens have opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and covered their ears and rushed at, at, him with one impulse. When they had driven out of the him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid out their, laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man, named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as the, as he called on the Lord and said, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold their this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. So, fortunately, you know, for speaking the gospel in the streets of Jerusalem, you know, he was stunned to death and all that. And one of the main people around there approving it was Saul, a.k.a. Paul, which is, he becomes a very important figure for the church, which we'll get to... Later on uh, probably in the next chapter of acts and all and, um, and on but you know Stephen, of course was the first martyr of the church and so alrighty so that's that's all of that so now move on to the guest of ambassador of the week so some gifts of the week um you know this is kind of a weird thing that kind of like us Ghost up because what these folks did was kind of a a really dirty move, but it's still a moderate and it went in a weird way. So if you recall, you know I've discussed on the show about the Snyder Cut of Justice League, how it was a lot better, a lot, a lot better than the the Justice League that we got in 2017. And you can see that just by the ratings. But this audience score around tomatoes was about, about 96%. And even the critics was pretty up there as well. In other words, you know, people most people really like this over Justice League. And of course, Warner Brothers didn't like that because they want they did not felt like what they pretty much don't, don't like what Zack Snyder was doing. So they pretty much took out all his ideas for this universe and everything. So, a couple of days ago, they actually did this. They actually released the trailer, a 4K trailer, of Jaws's League. I'm not kidding. They actually released a trailer of that. Like, remember, that movie was released in 2017. It's not like it was the anniversary of the release or anything. That's pretty much... It Just it was a spit in the face of all, a lot of fans. And... Again, I had to... Weirdly enough, I had to admire them for doing that. But it was a pretty dirty move. It was idiotic. Because Justice League is garbage, and Justice League is great. That's why I'm, I'm a big advocate for... Restoring the Snyderverse because there's a lot of potential for that. Even if you watch the Stack Snyder's Justice League, it leads into a lot of the things. It leads into many possibilities of what these movies, especially for the Justice, Justice League movies. And I and I hope, really, I hope that Warner Brothers doesn't do any. St- Doesn't ignore that. I hope they do. Alright, fine. We'll let Snyder finish. We'll let Snyder do this. We'll let Snyder restore his universe of DCEU. Because it has a lot of potential. Because what they have now is just garbage. It's complete garbage. Alright, so now let's move on to the best of the week. So some best of the week... Um, so remember, I think a couple weeks back, how it said that Life Church had been shut down by the government of Canada? So now another church in Ontario, it's called Trinity Bible Chapel, has, now their doors will be closed down and shut and changed as well, due to a judge order. So, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, again the government in Canada is coming out of the church. And this is where the church needs to stand up. Needs to say, no, we're not going to, we're going to still meet up. We don't need the building. We can meet up somewhere else. But you can't prevent us from meeting. And if you want to arrest us, arrest us. As simple as that. So, you know, keep these um, people in your prayers. Keep the Christ life. Folks in their, in your, in their prayers as well. Because, you know, they've, The Church of Canada is going, is under attack right now. And they need a lot of prayers and a lot of support right now. All right, so we'll be back here next week. Actually, no, no, we'll be back next week. I'll be out of town. So we'll be back here the following week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is The Guide to Freedom Show. If you enjoyed this episode of The Guide to Freedom Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening or watching. Hey guys, so I want to real quick to talk, stop and talk about something that's coming up here in the fall. And that is the G3 Conference. So the G3 Conference is happening here in Atlanta, Georgia at the World Congress Center. It is a great time to gather with fellow believers in, in fellowship and in worship. And to hear many great speakers, among whom include... Pastor John MacArthur, Paul White, like Josh Bruce, um Bakum, Virgil Walker, uh, Daryl Harrison, and many more. It is I, I can't wait. I just made my first time going, and I can't wait to see what it's about. So to register, you just simply tap in Google G Three Conference Twenty Twenty One. Click on the website, go to events. Scroll down until you see the G3 Conference 2021, which is um called Christ. Click on that and click on um, Register Now and then do fill out all your information there. Again, I'm, this will be my first time going. I'll be there. And I, I'm very excited about that. And I hope my many of y'all register, register and go as well.